This homily was preached in Church of the Ascension on Sunday, September the 3rd, 2023. When we experience fewer problems, writes Michael Easter, we don't become more satisfied. We just lower our threshold for what we consider a problem. We end up with the same number of troubles, except our new problems are progressively more hollow. In his book, The Comfort Crisis, Easter describes our own Western culture to be in a state of crisis, driven by our many comforts, like air conditioning in church. <laughs> Maybe too soon for that one, I don't know. Easter describes awakening to his own comfortable life where he names the innumerable ways we go about our days with the least amount of resistance, as in moving from our temperature-controlled homes to our temperature-controlled cars to our temperature-controlled offices and back again. Compared with the trials of our more primitive ancestors where hunting and gathering food brought a daily encounter with death, we live a pretty posh life. And what Easter articulates with great clarity is that our sense of roughing it, or what justifies a complaint, is completely conditioned by our expectations. Expectations forged in us relative to the challenges we face on a daily basis. We all know this phenomenon. People who suffer a great deal often come through the other side with a wider lens for seeing the world. After a person has wrestled with cancer, for instance, the discomfort or frustration of the waiter bringing out the wrong meal seems of little consequence. Having to wait an extra day or two for the lights to come back on after a storm becomes an adventure, as it was when we were children. Amidst a life of real suffering and challenges, we're suddenly no longer constrained by binary modes of thinking. Whether our glass is half empty or half full, we're just grateful to have a glass. In our gospel reading today, Matthew tells that familiar story of Jesus calling the apostle Peter Satan. Moments before, Jesus has renamed Simon Peter Petros, the rock upon which he will build the church. And now this same rock, Peter, is trying to cause Jesus to stumble. It's hard not to love Peter's spirit. He's rash, he's excitable, he's slow to listen and quick to speak, just like all of us. All too human traits that each of us embody throughout our lives that serve to keep us from becoming fully human. Peter's spiritual journey reminds us at every turn that speaking truthfully must not come at the sacrifice of deep listening. Rocks are useful for building. Too often they are used to trip us up. When Peter says to Jesus, 
This must never happen to you, Lord. Based on the scene we will later learn about in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Peter cuts off the ear of the temple guard, it's hard not to hear in Peter's reproach a more personal claim, as in, I won't let this happen to you, Lord. Walking alongside Jesus all this time, Peter had grown comfortable. His expectations of Jesus as the Messiah had merged with how Israel had come to think of the Anointed One, the Messiah, as a worldly ruler. The Son of God couldn't possibly suffer and die. That would defeat God's whole purpose, right? Robert Sardello describes this dynamic of human perception as an inability to see beneath the many facades of life. The challenge we face today is that so much of our cultural landscape is inundated with television screens, computer screens, phone screens, and much more. Each offer an encounter with the world that is more like paint that has been splashed over a scenery behind which there is no soul or life, no feeling or relationship, only decoration, stimulation, expectation of reaction. Too much exposure to this type of stimulation, says Sardello, and we begin to experience the world as painted rather than as full of colors that are at every moment coming into being, changing, disappearing, reappearing. Colors, colors play, says Sardello. Paint covers. Sometimes it does feel like we have painted over Jesus' invitation to take up our cross with something like, thank God Jesus died so I don't have to. Jesus' discomfort, in other words, is what makes my comfortable life possible, even something for which I might feel entitled. It's easy to rationalize the gospel, especially in our consumer society, yet it has happened in every generation. It happened with Peter, and it happens today. What we continue to learn from those who brave the wilderness of their own hero's journey, now daily confirmed by modern science, is that we experience the world from the world of our experience. We experience the world from the world of our experience. In other words, how I create the world of my experience through my daily habits and practices conditions how I experience the person, place, or circumstance before me. Or, to paraphrase Jesus, you will experience my cross with all its suffering and shame relative to taking up your own cross. If we want to know the life-giving nature of the cross, it will only come as we get comfortable being uncomfortable with Jesus. There is a recognition energy in all of us, writes Cynthia Bourgeau, an energy that lives in the depths of our souls, 
This energy is the divine energy in each and every person that enables us to see and experience the world and each other as divine beings, creatures of the living God who desires to bring about new life in us, who desires to color this world through us. So much of our life, however, is spent painting over this divine nature within, that it becomes harder and harder to connect with each other and creation from the heart. If we are not careful, we begin aligning our lives with a God who doesn't actually exist, a God of judgment, a God of comfort. And the irony here is that Jesus is also one who partied so often that he was taken to be a drunkard. What we begin to recognize is that life is not about moving through the world with our heads down, never laughing or having fun. How American Puritans ever drew this conclusion from the life of Jesus is beyond anything reasonable, and it's certainly not biblical. No, life is about what many today might call the beginner's mind, something I'm beginning to think of more like the beginner's heart, where each person and every encounter and even the different encounters with the same people are experienced as something new, as a new possibility, as a new opportunity to see the face of Jesus, and learn something new about me in the process. What if we began to see in, in each other something of ourselves, almost like a mirror looking back at us, gazing into our souls as we perceive just how deeply we are connected with each other in God? What if we began to see Jesus differently? What if Jesus is not the Savior of the world, but the giver of life? Or as James writes in his letter, the giver of every good and perfect gift. In the Aramaic, which we're pretty confident Jesus and his disciples speak, there is no word for Savior. Jesus is instead known as life giver, to be saved is to be made alive, to be awakened to the truth of reality, to no longer sleep. For this reason, St. Irenaeus, writing in the early 2nd century, tells us that the glory of God is the human fully alive. Jesus is the one who leads to fullness of life. Jesus is the one who gives life. Jesus is the one through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation, who for us and for our becoming fully alive came down from heaven. It's a small shift in the imagination, and yet it opens us to the truth of our humanity as a people made for resurrection. And to be raised from the dead, we have to rise from the painted tombs of comfort, 
complaint, and certainty, so that we might embrace the pain of growth, the joys of the moment, and the uncertainty of unconditional love. Abiding the status quo may keep us safe if we continue to do what is socially acceptable or politically expedient, we might actually survive. And as Jesus says, we will lose our souls trying to survive, failing to thrive. When we keep pain and discomfort at a distance, we simultaneously suspend joy and resurrection. It is for this reason that St. Benedict in his Rule for Monks reminds that we must keep our deaths ever before us. This once sounded to me like a morbid way to go about the world, and yet as I pondered these words over many years of my adult life, it has been the very thing that has made life feel like a gift and adventure. In an interview with a Buddhist teacher from Bhutan, ranked among the happiest places on earth, Michael Easter learns a good deal about the importance of contemplating his own death. It's a part of Bhutanese culture to contemplate one's death. Its citizens are encouraged to do so at least three times a day, not unlike St. Benedict's rule for monks. Pretend you're walking along a trail, says Easter's teacher, and there is a cliff 500, year, 500 yards off in the distance. The cliff is death. We will all walk off it, and we are, in fact, walking toward it this very moment. Buddha died. Jesus died. You will die. I will die. The teacher continues, only when we recognize that there's a cliff can we change our course. We could take a more scenic route. Notice the beauty of the trail before it ends. Say the things we truly want to say to the people we're walking it with. When you start to understand that death is coming, that the cliff is coming, you see things differently. You see that nothing is permanent and everything is a gift. If you want to follow me, says Jesus, you not only have to recognize that there's a cliff, that you're going to die, you have to carry the cliff like you're picking up a cross and putting it over your shoulder. What we discover in this whole process of following Jesus taking up our cross, is that we become resilient. We grow stronger. The hollow complaints that once registered deeply in our minds are compassionately dissolved in our hearts. This is when life becomes, in the words of G.K. Chesterton, not only a pleasure, but a kind of eccentric privilege. For you see, as the earliest Christians taught us, when we take up our cross and follow in the humble way of Jesus, we see in every moment the colors of resurrection 
bringing forth new life all around, transforming everything and everyone it touches as we ourselves become fully alive. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about what we're up to in Church of the Ascension, visit us online at knoxvilleascension.org. Or to learn more about our Center for Spiritual Practice and Learning, Spiritus Knox, go to spiritusknox.com.